title of our lesson this morning is The Sins of Jeroboam, and we're going to take a look at 1 Kings 11th and 12th chapter. I'll go ahead and pull up this slide. In 1 Kings chapter 12, I guess I should have slid that over a little bit, uh, the nation is going to divide, and Jeroboam is going to be that first king over the northern tribes, and Jeroboam leads that nation into a downward spiral. So we're going to take a look at the selection of Jeroboam, won't take long. And then God's requirements are exhausting, God's requirements are too exclusive, and God's requirements are too explicit. One of the reasons why we give consideration to Jeroboam, uh, he as that first king over the northern tribes, later comes to be referred to as Israel, those southern tribes referred to as Judah, and it talks about the sins of Jeroboam, and he sets a course for that nation. And so we want to see why he does what he does and then what it is that he does and how he sets them on a course uh, that they will not be able to recover from. So the first thing I want us to give consideration to, though, is whenever he was selected, because that's the reading that we had this morning, and Kenny read that for us, when God sent Ahijah uh, and told Jeroboam that he was going to make him king over those ten northern tribes. So... I'm just going to read to you from uh, verses 29 through 31 there in 1 Kings chapter 11 once again. It says, Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way and he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and he tore it into 12 pieces. New robe he's wearing, he takes it off and he tears it into 12 pieces. He gives 10 of those pieces to Jeroboam. It's symbolic. This is what God is going to do for you. He's going to make you king, Jeroboam. God is going to make you king over those 10 tribes to the north. Previous to this period of time, we have read where Jeroboam actually was a servant of Solomon a laborer, a worker. And now God calls him and is going to make him king over ten tribes to the north. Well, down about verse 36 through 38. And to his son I will give one tribe. What is being stated there is through Ahijah, God is telling Jeroboam, I'm tearing this kingdom from Solomon actually because of the things that he has done. But I'm not going to do it while Solomon is still alive. I'm going to wait till his son comes to the throne, which is Rehoboam. And then as we've been studying on Wednesday night, Rehoboam makes some bad choices. And that's when the nation actually divides. So he's telling him what he's going to do and when it's actually going to take place. And it's going to be during the reign of Rehoboam. And his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart's desires, and you shall be king over Israel. That's the ten northern tribes. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you, and will build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. Sound like a pretty good deal? Going from being a laborer to being king? 
And here's the requirements. I want you to walk with me. Keep my statutes, my commandments, and I will greatly bless you and you will rule over your heart's desires. God pretty well tells it what he expects out of it. What he needs to do. It ought to be crystal clear to Jeroboam. In chapter 12 and about verse 20, that's when the rest of those tribes will all join in. And they will call Jeroboam to them and they will all recognize him as king. And he will be officially seated as the king over those northern those northern ten tribes. Now at this point, you would think it's pretty crystal clear. God first through Ahijah tells Jeroboam what he's going to do. And then he explains to him exactly when it's going to take place. He explains to him what is expected of him. And then in chapter 12 and about verse 20, it all comes to fulfillment. You are now king over those ten tribes to the north. Now I want you to know something. This is shortly after Jeroboam becomes king. I'm going to read just a part of this and then we'll come back to it. So God has called him. God has told him what is expected to him. It has come to fulfillment. He is now king over those ten tribes. All you got to do is just follow in the commands and I will greatly bless you. Verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. (laughs) He has just now become king. God says, walk in my ways, keep my commandments, and I will be with you, greatly bless you. Well, what would part of that be? (laughs) Well, part of that would be you would go worship where God says you ought to worship, Right? Jeroboam is no more than come king, and he says in his heart, wait a minute, if these people keep going back to Jerusalem, I have a feeling they may turn back to the house of David. In other words, they may go back to following Lord there is small case letters. Lord as in the king, Rehoboam, If they keep going down there to worship, they're going to reconnect. And then what's going to happen to me? (laughs) They'll kill me. Did God tell him that was going to happen? No. Rehoboam, or Jeroboam decides that could happen. It's in his heart. He's thinking all these things. And so he's going to devise a plan to try to keep anything like that from happening. Forget what God has said This is what I'm thinking I should do. Hmm. Jeroboam comes to the throne in about 930, 931 B.C. 209 years later, those northern tribes, Israel, 722 B.C., they're going to fall. They're going to fall to the Assyrians. Those northern ten tribes will have 
20 kings, Jeroboam being the first, 19 to follow. But within that 209 year span, they will continue on that downward spiral that starts with Jeroboam until finally God is going to allow the Assyrians to come in and destroy that nation. I want to read to you from 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 17 at about verse 21. It says, For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. Second Kings is just recounting what happened in that 209 year span. It started with Jeroboam until God finally said enough and he removed him from that land. Now there's two things that we need to give consideration to as we think about the reign of Jeroboam. The things that he did, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the first thing we want to talk about is why. Why did he do that? After God had made it perfectly clear, and after God had told him what he expected of him, and after it had been fulfilled, and he became king, why did he turn? And then we'll talk about what he did. So it's the why, and then it's the what. First Kings, the twelfth chapter, beginning at about verse twenty. First, let me get first. First Kings, the twelfth chapter, beginning at verse twenty-five. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and he built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me, and they'll go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice and made two gold calves and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods of Israel who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Did you catch that? He devised, he decided in his heart. They keep going down there. And their hearts are liable to turn back. They'll want to reunite with them down there. I don't want that to happen. Because if that happens, then I won't be king. So what he did is he took counsel and he said, I'm going to set up two gold calves. And he told them, it's too much for you. (laughs) It's too much for you to make that journey. Like God said... That's too much for you to go all the way back down there to Jerusalem to worship like that. So you stop and ask yourself. So we start to see already some of the things that he's going to do because he builds these calves. But what did that just say about why? Why did he do that? 
Because those people may turn back and their heart will follow Rehoboam. If their heart's following Rehoboam, their heart won't be following me. Isn't that what he's saying? So why does he do these things? Because he's concerned about self. And what you recognize from that is this. I'm going to put self in front of God. And I'm going to put self in front of those people. Can we see that? And so that's why Rehoboam does it. And so it says he takes advice and he builds those two golden calves. And he says, it's, it's too much for you to go back down there. So let me just ask you this question before we go any further. Does that kind of thing ever happen today? Do you ever stop and ask yourself, or does anyone else ever ask you, why do you practice the religion that you practice? And where did that religion come from? And do you have an answer for them? I attended a wedding, my wife and I did, just yesterday evening. Had an amazing conversation. I would have never known that I would have countered this kind of person or from where he was from. He was from Palestine. And he asked me, he goes, what do you do with your time? <laughs> well, we were right here at 1889. Isn't that the name of that? 1890. 1890. Sorry. I missed it by a year. 1890. It's a venue. They have events there. I said, well, up the road about a mile, there's a church there. I preached there. He goes, how long have you been there? I said, oh, nine years, a little over, going on ten. He said, was there a church there before? I said, no. He goes, was there a building there before? I said, no. He goes, how'd you get a church there? <laughs> well... I didn't have time to explain the whole thing to him, but it's kind of like people don't clearly understand how that happens. Right? So, religion, ask yourself, ask somebody else, where'd your religion come from? And so Jeroboam decides in his heart it's too much for you to do what God says so we'll just do something else like what I say. Does that ever happen today? Absolutely. Look around this city, look around various cities, look around this country, look all over the world and you see people worshiping in all kinds of different ways. And you have to ask yourself, where did that religion come from? Why do you practice those things? Why do you worship in that way? Well, I can tell you this. In verse 28, it says that Jeroboam took counsel. So ask yourself this question, who did he take counsel with? He did not take counsel with God because he immediately built two gold calves. Do you think God told him to build two gold calves? Absolutely not. 
So who did he take counsel with? Maybe it was some of those young guys that Jeroboam or Rehoboam had been talking to. He probably talked to the people, didn't he? He took counsel with somebody, and whoever he took counsel with, he decided it'd be a good idea to build a couple of golden calves. You ever heard of the Barna Group? Surveys. You can look them up. Ask religious groups today, why do you do the things we do? And they will tell you. We took a survey. You know what's popular today? In case you haven't noticed, music. It's very inspirational. It's very uplifting. It's very emotional. Music. And that's the emphasis in a lot of places. Why do we do the things we do? Did God tell you to put that band together? He didn't tell you to do that. You don't find it on the pages of God's Word where He told you to put that band together. It's not there. Why is it that you don't partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? Lord didn't tell you to take it once a month or every three months. He didn't tell you to do that. Or once a year. He didn't tell you to do that. But they'll have surveys. And so we'll do these kinds. I'm not trying to be critical. I think it's enlightening what verse 28 says. He took counsel. He sought advice. From who? God had already told him, I'm going to make you king. If, walk in my ways, keep my commandments, I will bless you. He no more and becomes king and says, it's too much for you to go down there to Jerusalem. So he builds these golden calves. A couple hundred years later, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, he will talk about the kind of things that Jeroboam does and what he leads these people into. This is just kind of a paraphrase from Isaiah, the 46th chapter. He will say, you make for yourselves gods out of gold and silver. And after you fashion them, you bow down to them and you pray to them. And in a way, God through Isaiah is kind of chiding these people. And he says, these gods that you fashion and you form, they have eyes that can't see, they have ears that can't hear, they have mouths that can't speak. And after you bow down and pray to them, you know what you do? You pick them up and carry them with you. That's your God. You made it yourself. You carry it around with you. That's your God. In that same context, he said, Remember the former things from long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. A couple hundred years from the time of Jeroboam, Isaiah will be telling you people. (laughs) Don't you remember? From times past. What I told you about myself. 
about God, about the religion I gave you, you forgot. So where does it start? It starts with idolatry. But idolatry doesn't start with a statue. Idolatry starts with self. Jeroboam decided, I'm putting something in front of God. The thing he put in front of God was self. He put that in front of those people too. God said, walk in my ways. Jeroboam decided, I'll walk in my way. And these people will walk my way too. So secondly, 28 through 30. Go back here again. It says, Therefore the king asked advice, and he made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became sin. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. What are you saying? This thing became sin because then they started going to these places. They even traveled as far as Dan. Some of them would have been closer to Jerusalem. And now they're going to Bethel. And now they're going to Dan. They said that became sin. You know, in essence, what he's saying is trying to keep the commands of God. That can be exhausting. You know that? That can be a lot of work. Trying to do what God says. So essentially, Jeroboam would say, look, as long as he's being worshipped, what makes the difference where? We worship him. Over the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter, read about verse 10 through 14. It says, This is God speaking through Moses. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you bow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you, Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. Jeroboam said, we don't want to do that. God had told him a long time ago. This is about 9.30. When that statement was made... About 1450. 400 years ago, he told them, when you cross over that Jordan into that land, I will pick a place where I will put my name and that's where you shall bring your sacrifices and your offerings. That's where you shall worship. 
Jeroboam says, what difference does it make? As long as he's being worshipped, what makes it different about the place? So let's fast forward a little bit. Let's make let's make a modern day application. Right? Is there a place where God is worshipped? Yeah, there is. So we've been studying the book of Acts, right? Acts 20 and verse 7, the disciples came together upon the first day of the week to break bread. Disciples came together. Where were they? They were in Troas. So do we all have to travel to Troas? No, we don't all have to. We've never been told that, have we? But was there a place where they worshipped? Yeah, there was. See over in 1 Corinthians 11 chapter, Paul says, when you come together, when you come together as a church, 1 Corinthians 11, about verse 33. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18, he says, verse 33 is when you come together. Verse 18, he says, when you come together as a church. So when you come together, when you come together as a church, do we recognize this is the church here at Platte City? We do, don't we? And in the context of 1 Corinthians 11 chapter, you know one of the things that Paul is talking to them about, one of the things that he's correcting them about, giving them instruction about, partaking of the Lord's Supper. What did they do in Acts 20 and verse 7? They came together upon the first day of the week in order to break bread. They were going to take the Lord's Supper. Paul says when he writes to the church at Corinth, when you come together, what do you mean when we come together? Verse 18, when you come together as a church, and then he gives them instruction on partaking of the Lord's Supper. Can we see what he's saying? Is there a place where this is done? Absolutely. When we come together as a church. And if God designates this is the place for that to be done, then you know what that does to all the other places that men decide that it can be done? <laughs> it eliminates them, doesn't it? Amen. So sometimes people will say, men will say, and this came up during the pandemic. <laughs> right? So I'm not trying to be critical once again. I'm just saying, let's stop and let's think and let's reason. So men decided, let's just take it home. I got online and listened to some guys, members of the church, well-respected, saying things like, well, taking the Lord's Supper, that's just an individual thing. Where'd you get that? I never read that. But all of a sudden, well, that's an individual thing. No, it's not. <laughs> the Lord designated when you come together 
as a church. And then he gives instruction about this. That is the place. See, in the Old Testament, it's a geographical location. This is a spiritual location. This is the church. This is where we come together. This is where we worship. Can we see that? God told Jeroboam, follow me. Walk in my ways. I will bless you. Matthew, the 28th chapter. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. All authority given to Jesus Christ. I look to Him. The instruction that He gives. How to become a child of God. But then also how to worship Him as a child of God. You know, one of the statements that Jesus oftentimes used, two simple words, follow me, (laughs) follow me. Do you remember that fateful morning on the shores of Galilee? After Jesus had been crucified, after he had been resurrected, and the apostles were just kind of beside themselves and didn't know what to do. And Peter He'd even decided, I'm going back to fishing. <laughs> so that's what he did. That was the family business. That's what he'd always known. So he went back to it. Jesus shows up, and they have breakfast together. <laughs> and then Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me more than these? And that these there, that's been all kinds of debated, but I'm going to tell you my position on that. What he's talking about is those fish. This is your business. You grew up in it. You love it. (laughs) But do you love me more than these? Peter. Peter, yeah. So what's Jesus saying? Follow me. (laughs) Leave that. Follow me. Luke, the fifth chapter. There was a tax collector sitting at Booth by the name of Levi. We know him as Matthew. And Jesus passes by and he says to him two words. Follow me. And Levi leaves, everything follows Jesus. Acts the ninth chapter. Jesus sends a man by the name of Ananias to Saul, who will later become Paul. He says, you go and tell him everything that he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. What's he saying? I want him to follow me. John the tenth chapter. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Let me see that. John the 16th chapter. The night Jesus is betrayed promises the apostles I'm sending the comfort of the Holy Spirit who is going to guide you into all truth. Do you think part of the all truth is how he should be worshipped? <laughs> Absolutely. So why do we come together upon the first day of the week? 
Why do we do these things in partaking of the Lord's Supper and singing and praying and studying God's Word and giving of our means? Because that's what was revealed on the pages of the New Testament. That's what they did under the guidance of the Holy Spirit while the apostles, Acts 20, we just studied Paul is there. That's what they did. So that's what we do. Not more, not less. But what's been revealed. But sometimes people think that's exhausting. <laughs> Come together every first day of the week, worship the way God says. You know what? We can change that. Maybe we can change the location. Maybe I can just sit at home. Maybe we can do other things more entertaining. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's way too much for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. So Jeroboam changes. And then 1 Kings, the 13th chapter, in verse 33. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. I almost have to chuckle when I read that, right? <laughs> You want to be a priest? (laughs) Like I said, this is about 9.30, right? 14.50, they're in the desert. They're at Mount Sinai. He gives the Ten Commandments. They enter into a covenant. They set up a tabernacle. They establish a priesthood. He establishes the sacrifices. It's all there for 400 years. And they've been the Levites have been the priests ever since. And now Jeroboam comes along and goes, You want to be a priest? <laughs> you can be a priest. I can be a priest. <laughs> That's what he does. Why do we have to stick with that old funny daddy way for all these years? We can update these things. Anybody can be a priest. You want to be a priest? That's what he does. Numbers, the third chapter, God through Moses had told him, you set aside the tribe of Levi out of all the sons of Israel. They shall be mine. And he designated the Levites. He made a choice. Just like he made a choice for Jerusalem to be that city where they would bring their sacrifices. He made a choice among the tribes that Levi would be the priesthood. He made a choice. And Jeroboam was like, oh, that's way too exclusive. We can do other things. I can be a priest. We've been studying 1 Kings. We studied First and Second Samuel. Have we ever seen that happen before? You remember way back with Saul who was the first king over the United Kingdom and Samuel was the priest and Saul got impatient waiting for him and remember what he did? 1 Samuel the 13th chapter. Saul said, oh, bring me that sacrifice. I can do this. (laughs) And so he did. But about that time, Samuel showed up. And what Samuel tell him? He said, you acted foolishly and you have not kept the commandment of the Lord. 
And you know what he said following that? That kingdom is no longer yours. He's going to take it. So does that happen today? <laughs> Remember when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman? He says there's going to come a time when people will worship in spirit and in truth. John 4 and verse 24. So where is this worship going to be offered when they first, when they come together? 1 Corinthians 11. That's the where. Because he tells her there's going to come a time when it won't matter in this mountain where the Samaritans worship or in Jerusalem. Because that's going to change. It's going to be when they come together. That's going to be the place. 1 Corinthians 11. When's that going to be? Because they had certain feast days that they would travel to Jerusalem for. So when is that going to be? Acts 20 verse 7. They came together upon the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of the week, lay by in store. So they were together. They were doing these things, these acts of worship. That's the when. How? As I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. And that's how we end up. With singing and praying and studying God's Word and giving of our means and partaking of the Lord's Supper. Those are the things that were revealed. That's what they did. So that's what we do. If it would have been revealed, bring your best lamb, then we'd all have to get a lamb. But that wasn't what was revealed. These things were revealed. And so we could talk a lot. That's just worship. We could talk about various things that have been revealed for us to do as Christians, as the church. One these days do a lesson just on the work of the church evangelism and edification and benevolence. That's the work of the church. That's what's been revealed. That's what we do. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Keep it. (laughs) Unity of the Spirit. Because there's one Lord... And there's one faith. And there's one baptism. You know what that means? There's one Lord. Just like God through Isaiah had told them, there's there's nobody else. You don't have other gods. There's just me. One. That's what Paul's saying. There's just one. And then there's one faith. There's one system of belief. It's not... You believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. You ever hear men say that? <laughs> oh, my faith's not your faith. No, it's not. It's not your faith. It's not my faith. It's the faith that has been revealed, Jude 3. The faith that has been revealed for all times. The faith. And then Paul says there's one baptism. What that stands in place for is there's one practice. That's what he's saying. There's one Lord. There's one faith, there's one practice, there's one baptism of that. That's what he's saying. And some say, well, that's way too exclusive. (laughs) We should be able to do all kinds of things. Add to, take away from. 
That's what Jeroboam did. It's too exhausting. It's too exclusive. It's too explicit. First Kings chapter 12, verse 32 and 33. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month. Like the feast that was in Judah and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. He decided this is where it's going to be. He decided who the priests are going to be. He decided when it was going to take place. The law said nothing about having a feast day in the 8th month. But he devised that in his own heart. Is there a day, just once again, for us to come together? Yeah, it's the first day of the week. Take a look around. The Sabbatarians. They want to meet on the seventh day. Jews. Seventh day. Christians. You know what? It's too much to go there every first day of the week. You know the Chiefs play on Sunday like that? If we could just worship on Saturday night, wouldn't that be nice? Are there any churches around this city that worship on Saturday night? Oh, yeah? Who told you to do that? Once again, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just stopping to think about it. You want to please the Lord? See, that's what Jeroboam did. As long as he's been worshipped, what difference does day what day I worship? <laughs> because the Lord said. That's why it matters. God was explicit. Read Leviticus. We won't take the time to read the entire Leviticus 23rd chapter, but read Leviticus 23. It'll tell you when those feast days are. What day and what month. And God designated them. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, Caboose, Spring, Fall, Spring, Late Spring, Fall. That's when they were. The sin of Jeroboam. Nineteen kings will follow him. Fourteen of them, it will explicitly say that they walked in the sins of Jeroboam. Every one of them were ungodly in the northern line. But fourteen of them, it says explicitly, they, they followed in the sins of Jeroboam. But the things, the decisions that Jeroboam did... He set them on a path. They never recovered. And we'll get further along, and we're in chapter 14 now. 
I'm looking anxiously forward to getting to chapter 17. Because there's going to be a prophet that's going to show up that's well known. And God will use these prophets to try desperately to call these people back to Him. And in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, there's a prophet that I enjoy talking about, preaching about. You know his name? Elijah. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And in chapter 17, Elijah will just kind of, he'll just kind of explode on the scene and he'll march into Ahab and he'll, he'll have some words for, for Ahab. And Ahab will be married to that woman. You remember who that is? That Jezebel, right? I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read from the book of James. James, the first chapter, 19 through 25. James, chapter 1. 19 through 25. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For as anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound anything like what God told Jeroboam? Yeah. 1 John chapter 2, and verses 3 through 5. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. Jeroboam was not Israel. He doesn't get the designation of being Israel's most wicked king. But he gets the designation as the one who devised a mindset that set them on a course that they were never able to recover from. He brought God down to his level. Once he brought God down to his level, he brought God's word down to his level. And once he did that, his word was just as good as God's. And it's the same thing today. If you bring God's Word, God and God's Word down to our level, anything goes. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Jesus said, follow me. Extend the invitation this morning, any and all that are here. If there's any way we can help you make your relationship right with the Lord this morning, you let us know while together we stand, while we sing.